Welcome to the Beyond the Pearls podcast, based on the Morning Report series from Elsevier. This podcast has been adapted for audio in collaboration with series editor Dr. Raj Dasgupta, as well as the volume editor for each book. Each episode features an in-depth case dissection format and aims to deliver practical, concise, and easy-to-digest information. And now, here's today's episode. Hi, Dr. Raj here with a super special announcement before we get into today's episode. I started Beyond the Pearls podcast in May of 2021, and now, almost two years later, we're coming up to our 100th episode. I mean, I can't believe it. And you know what? I'm getting a little palpitations right here, a little, you know, SVT, superventricular tachycardia. I can't help it. I always drop these pearls, you know. Reaching the 100th episode is a huge milestone. And to celebrate it, I wanted to do something special, which is give away digital copies of my latest book. And what's the title? It's going to be Morning Report, the subspecialties, of course, Beyond the Pearls. And I made the little hand gesture, but you can't see it. So if you're hearing this, check the show notes and learn more about the contest and click the link to get entered. And you can be one of six winners to receive a copy of the book. Thank you all so much for listening. And now, let's get back to the show. Hi, Dr. Raj here with my Beyond the Pearls podcast. And, you know, I've been getting a lot of requests from my med students, residents, and fellows, and I love you all, uh, to do something cardiac. Like, Dr. Raj, you're always doing some endo, you're doing some room. I mean, what about the heart? Isn't that important for our board exams? Isn't that important for the USMLE? And the answer is, yeah, you folks are right. So, you know, I'm going to dedicate this one for all the people requesting some cardiac today. So the question becomes, what to talk about? So should I do CHF? What about some coronary artery disease? Now, I think today we're going to talk about valvular heart disease. So now we're talking about which valve is going to be the one that I'm going to give the big spiel about. So, you know, right now, I really feel a hot topic that I've been seeing on the USMLE and the IM boards is the aortic valve, specifically talking about aortic stenosis. And I'm going to be a little bit more specific and say, I want to talk about aortic valve replacement. Now I think I got everyone's attention. That's really a hot topic on the board exams. And we're going to talk about aortic valve replacement for individuals with aortic stenosis. So where do we begin? Let's talk about how does aortic stenosis present clinically. For those who want me to take couple steps back and talk about a little etiology. Well, aortic stenosis may be secondary to congenital, as in people who have a bicuspid aortic valve. But most of the time, we know that aortic stenosis is going to be acquired. And who gets aortic stenosis? You know, I think a little, all of us are going to get it as we get what? Older. We're going to get those calcifications on that aortic valve, right? So when we talk about aortic stenosis, it causes chronic pressure overload of the left ventricle. And what does that lead to? It leads to two things. Number one, it leads to left ventricular hypertrophy. But the other thing it leads to, and I want to spend some time with this, is something called myocardial interstitial fibrosis. Yep, that's a mouthful. And yes, people want me to talk about it. So aortic stenosis leads to concentric LV hypertrophy and myocardial interstitial fibrosis. So what happens to the heart? Well, when you have aortic stenosis, 
and you had the LVH and you had the myocardial fibrosis, diastolic dysfunction follows, diastolic, and eventually systolic heart failure and eventually pulmonary congestion. So diastolic dysfunction in aortic stenosis results primarily from the LVH and this myocardial fibrosis due to the chronically elevated left ventricular systolic pressures that occur. So what is this myocardial fibrosis? Well, it's a histological hallmark of several cardiac diseases that alter the myocardial architecture and function and are associated with progression to heart failure. So what are the most frequent causes of myocardial fibrosis? Number one, coronary heart disease. Number two, aortic stenosis. Number three, hypertension. So aortic stenosis and hypertension result in that pressure overload in the left ventricle where the increased wall stress induces hypertrophy and this interstitial fibrosis. So now we could really kind of focus on the clinical presentation, right? How does it present exertional dyspnea, syncope, chest pain, otherwise known as angina, are the most common symptoms. However, symptoms may not appear until the stenosis is very severe. But among asymptomatic patients with severe aortic stenosis, 75% will die or develop symptoms within five years. And once symptoms occur, life expectancy is generally only one to two years. Therefore, serial evaluation every six to 12 months is recommended for patients with severe aortic stenosis. So, you know, the characteristic clinical findings of severe aortic stenosis include a couple of classic U.S. assembly step one things I'm going to talk about. Of course, the first thing is going to be what type of murmur is aortic stenosis? Is it going to be systolic or diastolic? And the answer is it's a systolic murmur. And how I describe that murmur, you know, I'm, I love saying this. It's going to be crescendo, decrescendo. And if you have severe aortic, aortic stenosis, it's going to be a late peaking crescendo, decrescendo murmur. And if you were to kind of, you know, draw it out, like if you attended one of my live classes, I'm going to say, here's S1, here's S2, here's S1. And how do you know which one is the systolic interval? And the answer is, it's the shorter one. The systolic is always going to be shorter than what? Diastolic. And then what are going to be some other buzzwords when you're reading a clinical vignette to kind of make you think that the answer is going to be aortic stenosis? Think about that paradoxical splitting of the S2 on expiration. That's going to be the key thing. And what does it mean to have a paradoxical splitting? Well, normally what happens when you take a breath in on inspiration, you know that the pulmonic valve is always going to close second and the aortic valve closes first. But when we talk about that paradoxical splitting on expiration, because you have severe stenosis, the aortic valve is going to close second. So it's going to be what? switched. So that's a nice little buzzword right there. Let's talk about some other things in the vignette I want you to know. So aortic stenosis is associated with a delay in the carotid upstroke. We call that pulsus tardis. And that may be accompanied by a decreased pulse amplitude due to the low cardiac output. We call that pulsus parvus. I know I'm going, I'm digging deep in, in USMLE step one. So one thing they love to ask when we talk about valvular heart disease in general is what happens when you manipulate 
preload and afterload in the intensity of the murmur. So when we talk about aortic stenosis, let's talk about what happens when you manipulate the preload. Preload meaning venous return. So if you want to increase venous return, you could do like a leg lift. You could use some squatting. If you want to decrease venous return, well, I guess you could, you know, do some standing <laughs> or you could do the Valsalva maneuver. So anytime you increase venous return back to the heart and aortic stenosis, what happens to the intensity of the murmur? It becomes louder. And when you decrease venous return, what happens to the intensity of the murmur of aortic stenosis? It becomes softer. Now, when we talk about manipulating the afterload, well, let's just talk about increasing the afterload. And how do we do that? Well, I think everyone knows that they're going to stick their hand out and do that mighty strong hand grip. <laughs> so when you have aortic stenosis and you increase the afterload by doing some hand grip, what happens to the intensity of the murmur? It becomes softer as less blood flow goes through the aortic valve. And when you decrease the afterload, what happens to the intensity of the murmur of AS? It becomes louder, whereas more blood flow will go across that aortic valve. Also, I wanted to mention that if you have any clinical findings suggestive of severe aortic stenosis, well, that should be promptly evaluated. And with that being said, let's talk about how do you evaluate aortic stenosis. And I'm going to call this section the echo the cath, and the stress test. <laughs> so the primary imaging modality for uh, aortic stenosis evaluation is a transthoracic echo. However, let's talk a little bit about cardiac catheterization. You know, we don't do it all the time, but further evaluation with a cardiac cath, during which you could measure cardiac output, aortic pressure gradient, that's what you could measure if you do the cardiac catheterization, is required when they are discrepancies when there are discrepancies between the clinical and echocardiographic findings, patients who are symptomatic, and these patients are being considered for some kind of intervention, okay? So exercise stress testing, well, it may be useful in asymptomatic patients with severe aortic stenosis to confirm, are they truly asymptomatic? But, and there's a huge but, it should be performed under cardiology supervision because stress testing is contraindicated in symptomatic severe aortic stenosis. So when we talk about that evaluation, means severe aortic stenosis is typically defined by three things, okay? Number one is that small valvular area, less than or equal to one centimeter squared. Um, number two, the high peak velocity, usually greater than four meters per second and or a mean gradient greater than 40 millimeters of mercury. So I'm sorry, everyone, you got to memorize that, okay? The one thing I do want to spend a little time with was always kind of confusing to me was something called the low flow, low gradient aortic stenosis. And I know there's some cardiology gurus and buffers out there that are just loving this part. So low flow, low gradient aortic stenosis. So let me give you Mm, but I consider four big bullet points about this, okay? A low flow state may occur with reduced left ventricular ejection fraction. We call that the classical low flow. Or it could happen with a preserved left ventricular ejection fraction, and we call that the paradoxical low flow. And those are often associated with a low transvalvular gradient, given that the gradient is highly flow dependent. 
So in both types, mean talking about the classical low flow, low gradient and the paradoxical low flow, low gradient, you know, it, it's difficult, you know, from the resting echocardiogram exam to really differentiate something called a true severe from a pseudo severe stenosis. So it, the echo itself is not really going to be the way to determine if it's going to be a true severe stenosis or a pseudo severe stenosis, whether it's going to be the low flow, low gradient classical or the low flow, low gradient paradoxical. So this distinction is essential if you want to give them the appropriate management. So in this case, there are two diagnostic tests that you would consider. Number one, it could be a dobutamine stress echocardiography. And number two, it could be something called an aortic valve calcium score. Okay, so the only time you really think about any of these two answers is when we think about distinguishing true from pseudo severe aortic stenosis. Okay, it's a little confusing, but I wanted to mention that. So before we talk into aortic valve replacement, I just want to say two quick things. You know, medical management of asymptomatic, no symptoms, um, aortic stenosis in adults, well, there's really not much to say because the primary goals are always going to be monitoring disease activity, early detection of symptom onset, and treat the cardiovascular risk factors and comorbidities. And if we want to talk about medical management for symptomatic aortic stenosis in adults, well, there really is a limited role for medical therapy, so there's not really much to say. And symptomatic aortic stenosis is an indication <laughs> to do aortic valve replacement. So now let's get to the meat of the discussion. So what are going to be uh, the indications for aortic valve replacement in AS? So aortic valve replacement is a life prolonging procedure in patients with severe aortic stenosis. And the indications for aortic valve replacement in severe AS are two of the big things. Number one, the presence of symptoms, dyspnea, angina, presyncope, syncope, heart failure, or number two, if they're getting a, another cardiac surgical procedure, such as a coronary artery bypass grafting, cabbage, or they're getting ascending aorta surgery, and you would think about it if it's clinically indicated to do uh, aortic valve replacement at the same time. So many people ask me, well, how do you manage, you know, asymptomatic patients? You know what I mean, what's the role of aortic valve replacement in asymptomatic patients? So aortic valve replacement is a reasonable uh, in an asymptomatic patient with very severe aortic stenosis and low surgical risk and asymptomatic patients with abnormal results on supervised um, exercise testing. So this kind of goes back when I was mentioning about when do we do a stress test? You know, we definitely don't want to do a stress if, if they have symptomatic aortic stenosis, but if they're asymptomatic, if you do it carefully and they have symptoms on the stress test, then you would think about having this patient to be a candidate for aortic valve replacement. That's going to be very important. So let's talk about what are the two main options under aortic valve replacement. So aortic valve replacement can be formed with number one, an open cardiac surgery, and you do something called a surgical aortic valve replacement, SAVR, or you can do a transcatheter approach. And that's going to be the transcatheter aortic valve implantation, TABI, T-A-B-I. So I call this aortic valve replacement, but it encompasses these two terms. 
the surgical aortic valve replacement, and the transcatheter aortic valve implantation. Both have similar long-term survival rates. The choice between surgical and transcatheter interventions is based on the presence of symptoms and the patient's surgical risk. And this is determined through a comprehensive, multidisciplinary assessment. So a TAVI is recommended over a surgical aortic valve replacement for symptomatic patients with severe aortic stenosis who are older than 80 years of age, or for younger patients with a life expectancy of less than 10 years. A TAVI is also recommended over a surgical aortic valve replacement for symptomatic patients of any age with severe aortic stenosis who are high surgical risk. And the last thing I wanted to mention is for symptomatic patients who are aged between 65 and 80 years old, either a surgical aortic valve replacement or a TAVI is appropriate once we do shared decision-making with the family, risks and benefits, and using that comprehensive multidisciplinary assessment. And the last thing I wanted to mention is neither a surgical aortic valve replacement or a TAVI is indicated in patients with limited expectations of survival due to comorbid conditions. So before I just kind of go on to one of a practice question, you know, many people always ask, well, what about, is there any role for balloon valvuloplasty in aortic stenosis? And the answer is pretty much no. But I'll say one thing that balloon valvuloplasty may be used to bridge unstable patients to therapy with either a TAVI or a surgical aortic valve replacement. So with all that being said, you know, let's do a practice question to because people always ask me at the end of my lectures, well, how are they going to take all this information and put it on a board question? So here's my guess. Let's make this a 75-year-old man is evaluated for dyspnea and an episode of exertional syncope. So definitely symptomatic. And that's one of the key things. If, if this turns out to be aortic stenosis, which it will, <laughs> um, really, if they're symptomatic, you know, that's the indication to do some kind of aortic valve replacement. He is diagnosed on clinical exam with aortic stenosis. Surprise, surprise. An ECG shows normal sinus rhythm and left ventricular hypertrophy. What a surprise with repolarization abnormalities. The echocardiogram reveals a severely thickened, minimally mobile tricuspid aortic valve. So the aortic valve is very thickened. It's going to be abnormal uh, and it's compatible with severe aortic stenosis. Okay. However, there was always a however. Hemodynamic data from the echocardiogram showed a mean aortic gradient and aortic valve area consistent with moderate aortic stenosis. Okay, so there seems to be a discrepancy there. Um, left ventricular ejection fraction is greater than 55. Stroke volume index is normal. Which of the following is the most appropriate next step in management? And let's give five choices. Number one, does this patient need a cardiac catheterization? B, CT of aortic valve. C, exercise stress test. D, surgical aortic valve replacement. E, transcatheter aortic valve replacement. So when I'm looking at this, I would let's work our way from the bottom up, okay? So D and E are both aortic valve replacements, right? So the question becomes, if you want to do these procedures, well, you want to do these in individuals who have 
severe symptomatic aortic stenosis. And based upon the data that was given here, well, it seems to be in two opposite fields. Yes, the aortic valve, you know, looked like there was severe stenosis, but the hemodynamic part of it was more on the moderate side. So there's a discrepancy. I think we need to actually figure this out first before we commit the patient doing any type of aortic valve replacement. So I'm going to say in this case, E and D are going to be wrong at this point. He's going to end up getting this, but we got to figure things out first. And why is there a discrepancy in the echocardiogram findings? C, doing a stress test. Well, I would say this is someone who has symptoms probably severe aortic stenosis. Do you want to do a stress test in someone who is symptomatic with AS? The answer is no. When do we do that stress test? If you're asymptomatic and you have aortic stenosis to see if you're going to be a candidate due to symptoms during the stress, and you want to be careful with that. So C is going to be the wrong answer. B, CT of the aortic valve. Well, you know, this is going to be in someone that comes in where we were talking about this individuals with the low flow, low gradient aortic stenosis. Now that's not this case. This isn't going to be the low flow, a low gradient aortic stenosis. And we said in those individuals, we mentioned about dobutamine echocardiogram. We mentioned about that CT of the aortic valve. That's not what we're seeing here. This is going to be an individual who needs what? A cardiac catheterization. Because what do we say is that you know, this patient's symptoms of dyspnea and syncope are consistent with symptomatic, potentially severe aortic stenosis, but there is that difference, right? Remember that severe aortic stenosis is defined by a small valve area, less than one centimeter squared, a high peak velocity greater than or equal to four meters per second, and or a high mean gradient of greater than or equal to 40 millimeters of mercury. So, Although the 2D echo in this patient's aortic valve is consistent with severe aortic stenosis, the mean valve gradient and aortic valve area are consistent with a moderate aortic stenosis. Therefore, further hemodynamic testing with the cardiac catheterization should be pursued in cases of a discrepancy in clinical and echocardiograph findings. So the answer here is definitely going to be A, cardiac catheterization. Once again, I, I hope I didn't give you too many pearls, but it does make me happy. Eric Snows is always going to be a favorite on the USMLE. It's going to be a favorite on the IM board exams. I hope all of you enjoyed this today. We took a little deeper dive to get those pearls in Eric Snows and indications for Eric valve replacement. I'll see you next time on my Beyond the Pearls podcast. Thank you for listening to the Beyond the Pearls podcast from Inside the Boards. This podcast is executive produced by Christopher Brightigan and Dr. Patrick Beeman. This podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not medical advice. Ars longa, vita brevis.